Emily and I went up to Toronto and um, all week we've been going to 12-hour church services. <laughs> they know how to do church up there, man, I tell you. So it <clears throat> started Monday uh, afternoon and Tuesday, Wednesday, all day Thursday. But it was very powerful, had a great time. Uh, uh, it's our network of churches, Partners in Harvest, International Network of Churches, excellent. Danny Silk from Bethel was there and was the main uh, keynote speaker, but there were many other speakers, including myself. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and um, it was re really powerful. One exciting thing is um, uh, lots of new churches, but a whole network of churches in Indonesia, of all places, uh, a network of over 250 churches joined partners and had their whole leadership team come. Indonesia is the most Muslim nation in the, in the earth. Um, uh, but these are a network of, of churches um, that just flow in the same stuff that, that we are, the same values, and it's great to be part of a bigger community, amen? So <clears throat> speaking of part of a bigger community, I do want to just begin just by praying for the election, which is um, this uh, just a few days, eh? Right? So uh, would you just join with me? Oh, it's not this this Tuesday? So we have one more Sunday. Well, we still need to pray. <laughs> ah, Father, we thank you, God, that uh, the nations of the earth you hold in your hand. God, that you are sovereign over the entire planet, let alone over our country, the United States of America, and over the states and all the local governments. And Father, we do hold up this nation in prayer and ask that you would influence the votes of all of the people, Father, from and all of the elections, from all of the proposals and all of the offices, all the way up to the president. Lord, this is an opportunity that we can influence uh, the direction of our nation, but we understand that uh, we need you to intervene and to set the course of this nation. We do not put our trust in princes. Uh, we put our trust in you. And so we pray that you would move upon the hearts of individuals to vote uh, according to your will. And Father, these things are in many ways so big, we don't understand them. But for you, they're a simple thing. Justice for the poor, Lord, uh, equity for all, Father, security for our nation, uh, honesty and integrity, the maintaining of social moral values, all of the issues that are at stake. Uh, Father, the lives of the unborn, Father, all of the issues. We just pray that you would intervene and, and stand up and that your will would be done and through whatever means that you decide. Uh, Lord, we trust you in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> this series is certainly influenced by the election. I've been talking about uh, living in community and how to express kingdom values in our fragmented, divisive culture. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I'm a long way away from you all. Is that better? Uh, first week we talked about Jesus' counterculture message uh, and how whenever Christ interacted with individuals, uh, you know, he just, he wasn't on their side, it seemed. He, he was always drawing them to something uh, different and something more kingdom-centered, regardless 
of, of uh, what uh, uh, side of the political stance they may have been from. <clears throat> and we talked about living Christ-like in the midst of an evil generation and how we can walk that out the second week. And then last week we talked about community means responsibility. Um, this week I'm going to be talking about citizenship means accountability. And there's a, there's a difference between responsibility and accountability. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, most people understand the idea of accountability. Why don't you put the next slide up? How many know who that guy is? He's in jail. Yeah, that's, that's Bernie. Bernie Madoff. What do you think of that guy? $180 billion. $180 billion. How many think he should be held accountable? You know what? A 150-year jail sentence for somebody that's 75 years old? Is that going to make up for $180 billion? Wow. How about the next slide? I've never had this happen. It's kind of hard to see. Maybe you can see it better in here. Ever have somebody key your car? Really? <clears throat> you know what that is when they just scratch your car and you stand in there? How do you feel? What do you want? That person should be held accountable. My goodness. Or the graffitied. What about the next slide? <laughs> and that kid needs to be held accountable. No, they only need to be held accountable when it's the last cookie and it was mine. That's when I get upset. Okay. <clears throat> oh, bug. Next slide. Accountability is the obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one act, one's actions. And there's a difference between responsibility. We talked about last week, uh, community being responsible, taking care of those that have needs um, uh, in our community, being responsible for ourselves, being responsible for others. And accountability, which is kind of like the flip side of responsibility, accountability <clears throat> is being held accountable. You have to give account for your actions. Uh, in other words, someone's going to hold uh, you to your actions. Uh, you're going to have to answer to someone. It's, it's, a, it's, it's bearing the responsibility or bearing the obligation uh, for um, for what you do or what you don't do. And, and, and we kind of understand this innately. Uh, people uh, understand the concept of accountability. We understand it when, um, the, uh, when it applies to someone else. We can understand it really clearly when it applies to Bernie Madoff. You know, or somebody that scratched our car. They need to be held accountable. But sometimes it's easy to overlook it when it applies to our life. Well, what are you accountable for? What are you, who, who are you accountable to? And for what? All right? When the offense is against you, it's easy to say they're accountable. But the question I'm asking and, and bringing uh, to light is, you know, being a citizen in a community, being a member of a community, is, is understanding that each one of us are accountable 
and, and what that means, this talk is, is about what that means. <clears throat> it's understanding uh, and embracing uh, the times where, when, and to whom we, we are accountable. And that really should be in the foremost of our minds. Uh, um, our actions, our words. Do you realize that even your thoughts and ideas have an effect on others? And you are accountable for that effect. I read a book once, the subtitle was Ideas Have Consequences. Right? It made a big impact in my life. Because all actions uh, come about as a result of ideas. And even ideas. I mean, somebody had an idea that, hey, let's, 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 let's instead of having private ownership, let's have the state own everything. And that would be more fair. And then the state could be could evenly distribute all all uh, property and all uh, business, and, and everyone would have a job, and it would, it would equal everything else. You know what that idea was called? Yeah, did that work? On paper, it works great. But in, in practice, it just just decimated uh, nations and decimated lives. And uh, but it was just an idea at first, and somebody grabbed a hold of the idea. Other people had this idea that hey, let's have private industry be responsible, and, and let each individual, you know, government for what's it, by and of the people, you know, the grand experiment. Let's put let, that's a that's an amazing idea. Let's let's not have a king, or even a a, a, a class of people that rules. Let's let's have it so that anyone could end up being the, the ruler of a nation. And that idea was what we live in America. And it's a great idea. And so ideas have consequences. Well, your ideas have consequences. Your words have consequences. And certainly your actions have consequences. And living in, uh, as a good citizen in a community means that you are accountable for all of them. And you need to know how that works. And be aware of it. Uh, this is true of things that you do. It's also true of things that you do not do. There are sins of commission, and then there are sins of omission. How many have heard that before? All right. So, so not only a few of you. Uh, a sin of commission. A commission is something you actually do. And so, <clears throat> if I were to steal Mark Morris's iPhone. I would have committed, that's a sin of commission, I would have committed a sin. I would have gone, iPhone, ugh, yuck, I'm an Android guy. <laughs> but a sin of omission, what would be an example of a sin of omission? Failing to do something, that's, that would be a good definition. What would be a good example? Boom. <laughs> certain certain answers get more of a response than others. <laughs> Something. 
something you're supposed to do but you don't do you're accountable for those those acts <clears throat> good deeds and lost opportunities uh, Galatians 6 7 we think of this verse just as applying to ourselves personally but it applies to the effect that we have in our community do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life and so we are responsible and we are accountable to um, to those uh, that are affected by our words thoughts and actions we are accountable to this and living in community and and America has such a um, a value to individualism that we don't fully understand community and and there's strengths to having a strong value of individualism and and that it's it's you know you are responsible for yourself and you have to make it work but there's there's also weaknesses and that we fail to see that we are re we really truly are a community and a, a lot of these things were just given uh, in other words, they were they were so ingrained as part of the culture when our nation was formed that um, they aren't spelled out because they were just accepted. The idea of of community and uh, reliance upon others uh, was just the way the world works worked at that time, and. Um, uh, in our day, we don't see the, the level of shift that's happened uh, in, in the society. There's really been a seismic shift in, in civilization. I just want to kind of share with you um, some things that have happened over the course of the recent history that has, has made a change. In order to understand how, to, how we live in citizenship and how to live in community, we need to understand where we are um, historically and just real briefly kind of gonna just skim over this but you know the Industrial Revolution which happened at the beginning of the uh, 1700s or at the end of the 1700s and basically the 1800s um, was a major change in the society and they, they discovered how to build factories all right and it revolutionized everything you can go to the next slide uh, and, 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 and what we had was uh, just millions of people that, that were used to living on farms and living in, in communities, going into cities and working in factories. And really uh, what happened was man just became part of the machine to produce uh, goods. <laughs> it happened, uh, you know, uh, what? Well, uh, almost 200 over the last 150 years or so in, in our country. It's actually just now happening. The Industrial Revolution is really happening now in India and China. Uh, um, they're just at beginning. <clears throat> at the beginning of, of the 1800s, 90% or over 90, about 90% of people worked on farms. 90%! And now it's only about 2%. Okay. So in that time, there was a radical shift in the way community works, all right? And, and, and the way that lives have been lived for generations and generations have shifted 
because in the, in, in the olden days, in the way our community was developed, you would live with your parents and, and work in the same business that your parents worked and your grandparents and your uncles and your aunts and your nieces and nephews. And there was this extended family that was interconnected because they all lived and worked within um, you know, a very short walk, right? You knew everybody and they worked together and they were dependent upon one another, not just the nuclear family, but the extended family. And with the Industrial Revolution, it really just it ripped apart the extended family because now you didn't work for your father who worked for his father. You left him behind and he went into a factory and you made twice as much eventually and, 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 or maybe more and you were shoved into these big giant buildings with uh, people from all over the place. And, and there's good parts about it. It did change our whole civilization, but the way it affected how people relate to community was drastic. It was like an earthquake or a tsunami where it came in and, and cultural um, institutions and the way people uh, were accountable to one another radically changed. <clears throat> it continued through the uh, uh, 1900s with uh, two world wars, you know, and then you, by the end of the Second World War, uh, uh, moms were working. And now it's it's common that women work as well as men. It's the vast majority of women work outside of the home. And, and I'm not saying this is good or bad. What I'm saying is that um, it totally uh, shifted and there was a seismic earthquake type uh, uh, altering of the way family works and the way culture works, the way community functions. You know, in the back, in the, in the, in the older days, you would not be able to get away with a lot of behavior that is common today because everybody in your community knew you and knew your parents, okay? and probably were related to you. And so if you walked down the street with your pants around your knees, your uncle would grab you by the nape of the neck and drag you home and set you down and have a good talk to you, right? <clears throat> or if you, you swipe something from the neighbor, you know, <laughs> grandpa would take you out behind the barn and let you know what the consequences are. <clears throat> and it would be settled. Uh, and people would, and then you'd make up, you'd, and, and this is how community works. But now, you know, the people that walk down my street, they don't know anybody. I don't know who that kid is. I don't know who his parents are. I don't know who his grandparents are. So not only can't I go to who's, who's responsible for them, but they're not representing anybody. See, in, in a culture where everyone knows your family, you represent the family. And so it's not only your own character that's at stake, but it's the family's name that you're representing. Does that make sense? And within an extended family, you have weird people. You have odd Uncle Charlie, you know. And, and nosy Nancy, right? And you learn how to live in family with people that are odd and pushy or grumpy 
my, my mom's one of my great uncles. This guy was drunk every time I saw him. You know, and everybody knew that about him. We still loved him. We just, you know, tried to limit the liquor when it was a family. But he always had some. I don't know where he got it. There was another guy flirted with everyone. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about the one particular. <clears throat> Just a couple of years ago, we, we saw him. He's still alive. He's really old. And we were at a restaurant. I don't know if I should say this. Lindsay was with us. Lindsay Sear was with us. Lindsay, do you remember the guy, old guy that was flirting at At the, uh, the boys' room. <laughs> well, that says it all, doesn't it? So, so the, the, the idea is, in the context of a family, you learn how to deal with behaviors that are not appropriate, some that you can intervene and restrict, others that you just have to manage, <clears throat> but you still remain a family. All right? It's a powerful thing, and you can't reproduce that outside of a family context. But we've lost that in our culture, and so people don't know how to live. It's either a free-for-all or the law comes in, and that's why America has more people in jail than, than any other, more higher percentage of people in jail than any other nation, than any other nation. It's just crazy, because we don't know how to do family anymore. <clears throat> so. And now the acceptance of divorce and the sexual revolution in the, in the 60s and 70s and all the way up to today has made it even more, uh, um, put up the quote from the New York Times. I just read this yesterday. I came across it. So, um, I'm going to read just part of it. It says, it used to be called, this is just an article, recent article in the New York Times. It used to be called illegitimacy. Now it's the new normal. After steadily rising for five decades, the share of children born to unmarried women, and now listen, two-thirds of all children are born to uh, women under 30, okay? So the share of children born to unmarried woman, women has crossed a threshold. More than half of the births to American women under 30 occur outside of marriage. Half of them, all right? The shift is affecting, and I'm not just talking about whether that's right or wrong, I'm talking about uh, the effect that that has on our community. And one effect is that it affects the children's lives. All research shows consistently that children born outside of marriage face elevated risk of falling into poverty, falling into, uh, failing in school, and suffering emotional and behavioral problems. There's a direct connection between um, uh, single, uh, not being with uh, uh, your biological mother and father to the rate of sexual abuse, direct connection and physical abuse. All of the negative indicators just shoot right up when a child is not in uh, a home with a mother and father. Now I understand that I'm not, you know, there's many people in this congregation that are in that situation or were raised in this situation. I'm talking about the effect that it has on the general population and the culture and, and how it affects how we understand accountability and responsibility. The New York Times continues and it says this, it says, uh, the forces rearranging the family, that's how they put it, the forces rearranging 
Pardon me? Yeah, what are those forces? There are forces rearranging the family. Are as diverse as global, globalization and the pill. Uh, liberal analysts argue that sh shrinking paychecks have thinned the ranks of marriageable men, while conservatives often say that the sexual revolution reduced the incentive to wed and that the safety net programs discourage marriage. In other words, both liberals and conservatives have, have reasons they point to. The truth is, all of those are reasons. And both liberals and conservatives actually, genuinely, are trying to fix these problems that are apparent. They're fixing, trying to fix them in ways that we differ or disagree about. Uh, almost all of the destructive pat lifestyle patterns in our day are the result of people living isolated and the breakdown of real community. Okay, so if the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s destroyed the extended uh, family, what's happening now is the destruction of the nuclear family. Right? And dur during the, through the World War and, and through the uh, 50s and 60s, there was a real emphasis on the nuclear family and, and how you can still, it's mom and dad and the kids. All right? But even that now is being destroyed. You know, it's interesting, most of the popular sitcoms, I think I have some pictures. <clears throat> is this now or later? I don't know. I'm working on doing these PowerPoints. I'm going to try to figure it out. Most of the popular sitcoms before 1990 were family-based, okay? Uh, uh, Cosby Show, right? Huh? How about Family? That was one of my favorite. Family Ties. <clears throat> it was great. But after the Gen Xers, all right, became the predominant uh, demographic, it changed to Friends and Seinfeld. You know what the difference is? There's no family. Family, no thanks. Yeah, I like the one with the picture album. It's like a family portrait, isn't it? In other words, they've replaced the family portrait with their group of friends. You know why? Because family hurts. They, they'd all been hurt by family. And, it will just, and these two became the most popular television shows. Just exploded everything else. Why? Because they connected with something that was in culture. You know, it hurts to be around family. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna replace family, which is friends, and hang out with friends. And that's where real community happens. And now it's even going deeper to redefining what marriage is, redefining what the institution. I mean, who do we think we are that we can change an institution that goes back, and and, and, and even though it varies a little bit, basically has been unchanged from. Uh, time immemorial, all recorded records of human civilizations in all, all nations. There's some variation, but very little, okay? And, and they want to completely rewrite it. And what, how is this going to affect the children? Nobody asks that question, all right? Because they see it as, well, it's just meeting the immediate needs or the emotional needs of this individual. And so they can marry whoever they want. How does that affect the society? How does that affect uh, those children? Uh, even in this article I mentioned, uh, some unwed mothers cite the failure of their parents' marriage as reason to wait. Brittany Kidd was 13 when her father ran off with one of her mother's friends, plunging her mother into depression and leaving the family financially unstable. Quote, our family life was pretty perfect. A nice house, two cars, a dog and a cat. She said, that stability just got knocked out like a window. It shattered. Miss Kidd 
21, said she could not imagine marrying her son's father even though she loves him. Quote, I don't want to wind up like my mom, she said. So the results are kids don't even know their parents. I forget the statistics. I didn't have time to look it up. But the number of children who do not even know who their biological father is, let alone have a relationship with him, is extremely high in our day and just growing. You know, and now they, they, they want to make that actually the norm by le legalizing all forms of aberrant uh, marriage. <clears throat> and so what, this ha what happens is that there's a breakdown of community, there's a breakdown of accountability, uh, there's a breakdown of even knowing the boundaries uh, uh, that, that we are to live in. And, and <laughs> in the midst of this, we're called to live as Christians. We're called to bring the kingdom of God into this culture. All right, which is a community. We're called to live as citizens of heaven on earth. Philippians uh, 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the midst of the community breakdown, in the midst of this tsunami-like destruction of everything that was um, established for, for generations and generations, we're, we're to be like the rescue teams that come in and begin to rebuild, all right? Uh, it doesn't mean that we try to rebuild what was there in the 50s, you know, because that wasn't that good. It doesn't mean we rebuild what was in the 1700s, because we don't even know what, what, what that was. It is to build what the, the, the culture that's in heaven, all right? that is relevant and meaningful to our culture on earth today, all right? Uh, and in fact, <clears throat> we have a tremendous opportunity as Christians in our day because our culture looks the most like the Roman culture did in the first century when Christianity exploded. In the Roman culture, homosexuality was legal and rampant. It wasn't even, no one would even question whether that behavior was wrong because it was normal. People don't understand this, uh, but it was completely acceptance. Except in addition to that, uh, uh, um, um, uh, religious prostitution. In other words, temples actually had, had male and female prostitutes. And the way that you would worship that particular god would be pay money to have sex with one of those priests. All right? Guess what? They didn't have, uh, they didn't have uh, uh, birth control back then. Right? So there was tons of children. Men would come in, sailors would come in, do the deed, be gone, kid would be born, left on the street. Right? And it was in the midst of that type of culture that um, uh, uh, the Christianity exploded. Not because they changed the laws against that practice, although that was the consequences several generations later. But they offered an alternative lifestyle that people said, I see the destruction from this lifestyle and what you're offering sounds so much better. They said, you can live free from all those things by coming into relationship with Jesus Christ and people willingly chose, all right, by the millions to accept and to be free through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're called now you know, we are accountable in our day, not because 
of a cultural issue or not because of a legal issue, but because we represent heaven in the earth today. We need to come and say, this is what God intended, that we are to live in family and, and, and family is defined by our relationship first with our Father in heaven. It's displayed by what the scriptures portray in that total uh, love and acceptance and affirmation that existed between Jesus Christ and the Father. Uh, we need to live accountable for our words, our actions, and our thoughts, our ideas, <clears throat> and be responsible for the ones that can affect and change our community. Real quickly, I want to read through it. It's a lengthy portion of scripture, but I, I just see the transition here, and maybe it'll help you. It's 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Um, again, most of the times we read this scripture and just think, well, how does this apply to me? But I ask you to think of how it would apply to, the, to our culture, to our society. And there's a transition from the beginning to the end. Uh, Peter is writing, since, uh, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For, um, so he begins with the, the, the statement, you know, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, it always comes back to that, right? Christ suffered and died. And because of that, we can, because of that, he was able to produce the force that changes uh, uh, human history, both individually and for the whole of the population of mankind. Likewise, when we step in and become representatives of Christ, we then step into that same power. But it also means that we may need to suffer. It says, <clears throat> um, uh, we had the same attitude he had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, I'm re reading from the New Living Translation, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will, uh, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Now, we're not talking about them. He's talking about what you used to do. All right, what, what, what the people that he was writing to was redeemed out of. You've had enough of that tasted that and you saw, you felt, you saw, you experienced the destruction that that, that led to. <clears throat> and it goes on, he says, of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Right? This is describing the first century reaction when you change your life and begin to live Christ-like with the with the uh, with the goal and the intention of not only transforming your own life, but transforming the community, all right? Transforming our nation and our generation to be free from those things. And so other people are going to say, are going to pick on you. They're not going to understand. They're going to say bad things about you. All right? That's part of the package. <clears throat> it says, but remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. So there's a shift here. Then he goes on and says, That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now have 
Uh, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. That, 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 that the verse is a little hard to understand. It could apply to different things. But basically, he introduces the idea that the, the gospel was preached so that those who were dead would experience spiritual life and renewed life. All right? Even those who believed and have died, but those who are living in death have an opportunity to not be caught in death forever. And he goes on, The end of the world is coming. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, this is the new lifestyle. The former lifestyle was, was described by debauchery and sin and wild parties and all this bad behavior that led to destruction. Now he's talking about a new thing that's, that's motivated by the real, realization that the end of the world is coming. The things that we know are, are soon to end. And that we are to be disciplined in our prayers. In verse 8, it says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And he goes on, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with the strength of the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Now don't think about this like how it applies, uh, maybe how you've always thought of this passage about spiritual gifts being used in a church service. I'm talking about changing our community and being accountable for speaking as though you were speaking the Word of God when you're talking about politics, when you're talking about how the schools operate, when you're talking about business, when you're talking to your neighbor about you know, uh, the issues of the day, uh, that you speak, you represent God. You are a citizen of heaven first in a community on earth. And your job is like when, when we took a team to Japan and there's a tsunami that devastated everything and we started, the first thing they have to do is clean out the mud. And so they're cleaning out the mud. Once you get all the mud cleaned out and it dries out, and then you rip out all the damaged wood, then you can start rebuilding the house. Culturally, that's what we are to do. That we represent uh, a, a different type, a different way to live community. And a big part of that is that we as a church, see in the New Testament, um, there were different stages, but uh, when, when Jews became Christians, they were uh, rejected by their natural family. They were cut off. And so they had to replace their family community with a new community. You know what they called it? Church. Church was their new family. That's why we say, hey, brother, hey, sister. And that's, been, that's now religious talk. You know why? Because we live in a, in a world that's so affluent, we don't really need you. I, you know what? I could choose just to say, forget all you guys and live on my own. It'd be kind of hard for me. <laughs> but you don't have to come to church because you live in an affluent community that you get by until something happens and you're scared. The doctor says it's cancer. You know? Or somebody gets in a car wreck and everything crumbled. <gasps> what do you do? 
But listen, we are to build community. We are, to, we are the extended family. And church can provide that for all those lost, isolated people that have no extended family. We don't replace their family like cults. Okay? We invite the whole family in, but we become the uncles. We become the brothers. We become the fathers that represents a community of accountability and responsibility that's patterned after the life of uh, the culture of heaven. And in doing that, we have the opportunity to do what the first century Christians did, which was to turn the world upside down. All right, Bill has some announcements.